Equally important to self-awareness is self-regard, which I believe is sort of a combination of self-worth, self-confidence, self-esteem. And that is one of the um, elements that we measure in this tool, self-regard. And that was one of the lowest for me when I first started this journey. And I realized that I had uh, a lot of work to do because without that sense of self-worth, we have a really hard time building ourselves up and, and growing. Welcome to Unquestionable with your hosts, Giles Perry Phillips and Sophie Green, where each week we dive into real and raw conversations with experts, creators, thought leaders and CEOs. With our guests, we'll be exploring some of the unquestionable truths behind psychology, mental health and relationships to gain a deeper understanding of human nature. So let's get into today's episode. So what would you say are some of the sort of essential things to good emotional intelligence? Oh, well, it always starts with self-awareness. Always, always, always. Um, So we need to go inward and do our inner work, uh, what I call inner work, which I think is the same idea as emotional intelligence work, but I think um, uh, inner work has a little bit of a more spiritual flair um, and shadow work, which is sort of the digging deep into those dark spaces inside that are our blind spots. And the more we dig in and the more we do self-reviews and sometimes work with other people and conversations with people that know us well and the more we're open to understanding more about ourselves and uh, digging into more of a growth mindset and the fact that we are evolving beings the more we can understand ourselves Um, the framework that i use with emotional intelligence is um, uh, developed by a psychologist named ruvan baron and he um, refined it over the years and there's 15 elements that we look at, including self-awareness, um, emotional awareness, and um, we need to dig in. We need to dig into our past and, and a little bit about what makes us tick and our beliefs and our values and really understand ourselves. And that's the starting point of really understanding emotional intelligence. And then it moves into all kinds of other qualities that I'm happy to talk about if you wish. Mm. I'm curious to know, do you uh, do you seem to find in your work that people uh you know kind of experience more self-awareness and start to work on themselves after a huge sort of life-changing event or a catastrophe or a big loss or breakup or losing a job or you know what we would call kind of like rock bottom do do you find that people then tend to be a little bit more uh introspective in that way oh my goodness yes yes i mean there's there are some cases where people tend to close I I sort of see the differences between opening our hearts after trauma and closing our hearts after trauma. And um, some people, they really do want to grow. They, they reach that rock bottom. Uh, I've reached mine. I've, I've felt in, in my life. And that's where I found that I need to keep going. I need to keep looking up because where else am I going to go? Um, Absolutely. There, Mm -hmm. there are some people that close their hearts and and become a little bit more judgmental and a little bit more um, fixed mindset, if you will. But emotional intelligence, it really at the root of it is about growth mindset and the willingness to sort of see that we have the capacity to change and do better. Mm. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested in growth mindset. That's the Carol Dweck kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. So is that something that you you're really into as well? Is that something that kind of lights you up as a as a theory? 
Oh, yes, it very much does. I also, um, one of the assessment tools that I use is um, a values assessment. It's a leadership values assessment tool, and it looks at 35 different, maybe it's around 33 or 35 different values. And my top value personally is, um, well, there's actually two, um, forgiveness and growth. Mm. And that's what I've discovered about myself. But not everybody, you know, values it as much. And so I, I think I'm in the right business here to be <laughs> helping people with growth. I I absolutely think that that is a key part of being willing to, you know, do the work and and heal and improve our lives and and uh, develop that emotional intelligence. Yeah, it's absolutely. Because absolutely, because I was thinking like sometimes we. You know, obviously things like failure, for example, is something is obviously seen in a very negative way and as a negative thing. And actually, often negative situations or things that happen to you with regards to failure are an opportunity to grow because we're learning from these things. 100%. I, I don't really look at things in terms of failure and success in, in the same way that a lot of people do. I think it's kind of a construct because with everything and you know, some people might criticize this thinking, but I believe with everything, there's lessons and blessings. And I prefer mm. to look at life that way. Um, as much as, you know, people do go through trauma and very, very difficult, difficult periods, and it's hard and you can't deny that part. Um, I do believe that with failure, if we want to call it that, comes blessings. And I don't know if it's mm. really failure. I don't need to, I don't know. I don't need to focus so much on the fact that I failed at something, but that I'm just growing through something. Yeah, it's kind of got more negative connotations, the word failure and fail. Uh, but really, mm. it's just the perception of it, I guess. Isn't it's it? reframing it, I suppose. Yeah, reframing yeah. it. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. So if somebody sort of comes to you and is looking to develop their emotional intelligence and sort of work with neuroplasticity in that way, what would be your sort of first step in terms of helping them to do that? I would probably look at the readiness to change framework and see where they're at uh, in terms of how ready they might be. Do they have support systems in place? And just take a look at their goals and how realistic they might be. And then I put them through an assessment tool that I absolutely love using, which I spoke about that takes a look. Uh, it's a really rigorous and validated tool. Um, about emotional intelligence. And again, it does look at those 15 different elements of empathy and problem solving capabilities, stress tolerance, decision making, uh, emotional awareness, emotional expression, and a number of other things that really help people see themselves and face themselves. And then I do a gentle debrief with them about their results and an interpretive kind of conversation about how do they feel about what they're seeing and um, and take the conversations from there and, and just do a few sort of goals up front and see what they want to do because there's a there's a lot to improve on and uh when, when I started on this particular journey of um self-assessing with this particular tool it was a hard difficult conversation with myself because um also uh, equally important to self-awareness is self-regard which I believe is sort of a combination of self-worth self-confidence self-esteem and that is one of the um, elements that we measure in this tool, self-regard. And that was one of the lowest for me when I first started this journey. And I realized that I had uh, a lot of work to do because without that sense of self-worth, we have a really hard time building ourselves up and, and growing. Yeah, and I guess, you know, when 
you know, when you take care of your inner self, your inner, I think you've talked about this, the inner world, yeah. um, then you can start to focus on the outer world more and actually you can um, be, be a better person for everybody else, not just yourself. Absolutely. I think that's what we have to always keep in mind. We have to take care of this vessel that we're blessed to be in, in this lifetime, uh, if we want to be able to help others do the same. Mm, I guess there's sometimes views that doing work on yourself and spending a lot of time on yourself is quote unquote selfish. Yeah. But I guess, you know, if you if you don't do that work on yourself and you're not taking the time to make yourself happy and to make yourself you know, in a better place, then you're not really going to have much to offer the outside world and, and the people that you love in turn. Is that is that fair to say? Personally, that's how I see it. And I do believe that there's, yeah, there is a lot of criticism to that idea. But really, if we're not giving from a full cup, we're just giving from, you know, an emptying or potentially empty cup. And how long, how sustainable is that really? It's really about sustainability to me. I uh, Sometimes we have to give a lot more. There are cases, obviously, where we're caregivers, um, mm. we're supporting someone through something. So there are temporary times where maybe we are overextending. And that's that's part of being human. But I've also kind of revisited the idea of what selfish really means. And is it such a bad thing sometimes? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you can have positive selfishness, I think. Like we've talked, you know, we, you and I, Sophie and I have talked about like putting boundaries up, for example, and the power of no. So are these some of, some of the things that you would um, work with clients on, like the idea of boundaries? Absolutely. Boundaries are the essence of how we operate with integrity in our life and they're highly misinterpreted the concept is really misunderstood out there so bringing this out is a wonderful thing thank you um it's really the proactive behaviors and thoughts and beliefs and and words that we uh, put out into the world that help people understand where we draw the line between us and them because indeed we are uh, sovereign beings we are separate beings, uh, even though spiritually, potentially we are all, all one, um, it is so important that we we take care of what we are here to do. And um, without those boundaries, we go into codependency, potentially, we go into enmeshment, we give too much, we do the whole people pleasing, which is a popular term out there right now. And I mean, the list goes on. Yeah, and you could say uh, like some, some sort of validation addiction. Like I think we, <laughs> yeah, I think like we, we can all say that, you know, we, we desire validation on a regular basis. And mm. probably we live in a, an environment now with social media and all that stuff where we're consistently getting dopamine hits and validation is something that we're constantly looking for. How do we work on that kind of stuff? That is a great question. And that really ties back to that self-regard, self-worth conversation. And boundaries are a big piece. But before we can understand that we even need boundaries, we need to have that self-worth. We need to have that sense of self. And um, we need to understand the sort of, if you will, I, and again, I don't like saying positive and negative, but really, to me, there are positive and negative dopamine hits. And when we become, as you say, you know, where we're kind of addicted to the affirmations of others, then we're kind of missing, well, what, what about what we think? Um, because really everything that we do, how authentic can we be if we're just doing it for what everybody else mm -hmm. thinks and says? 
and wants. Um, we have to, you know, sort of find a balance there. And I get that, you know, I do believe in aspects of the self-determination theory where, you know, being connected to others and, and a sense of belonging is so important to our mental well-being. But we have to start from within if we really want to have authentic experiences and relationships. And we do need to start to affirm ourselves. So that's one of the things that I constantly work on clients with is what are authentic affirmations that you can give for yourself? And also what are genuine intentions that you'd like to set for yourself? So it's sort of a larger than goals. It's, it's, um, kind of the inner work of, of reaching inside and getting a sense of yourself and what matters most to you. And how do you want to show up? How do you want to be in this world? Um, so I do like to start people with those, those kinds of ideas of affirmations and intentions and then build around that. And I suppose sort of having a, a good understanding of what is authentic to you in that sense is so important because again going back to sort of social media and not just social media but just society in general and you know there's this pressure to drive a certain car or look a certain way or live uh -huh. in a big house and stuff like that and and sometimes it does it does help to sort of stop and think actually what is authentically important to me what makes me happy on an authentic level rather than again sort of going back to the validation addiction sort of stuff. Yeah, and it does differ depending on what people's true values are and where they're at in their lives and what their influences are. All of this can sort of lead us into programming ourselves that, yeah, fancy cars and big houses and lots of money and lavish lifestyles is very important. And there's a lot of people that do believe that. And that's okay. You're allowed. <laughs> it doesn't resonate as much with me. But um, the external validation is, I believe, a problem because it mm -hmm. does take away from the ability to sort of see value in the, the more human qualities that really make us what we are, these beautiful conscious light beings that um, have capacity beyond our wildest dreams to love and, and do for others and, and, and live these incredible lives. Yeah, so true. I, and I wonder if for a lot of people when they're doing those kind of tangible um, uh, what's the word um if they're doing those kind of t the tools that you're giving them rather um that they find that they're surprised about what the thought things that they have forgotten that they used to be into or for or forgotten what they really what really lights them up i guess yeah and that's uh that's a sign of disconnection to self right um and i do talk a lot on social media um, or have talked a lot about remembering ourselves and this idea of, you know, who, who are we? And I think we, um, there's, there's a few things that we need to do in order to be really clear about who we are. And, and that's to have a connection to ourselves and our physical body and, you know, what's going on in our physical body, because our body tells us a lot of signs that, you know, are quite subtle until one day our body screams at us if, if something's really not right. Um, but also our connection to nature and all the elements and all the things that our beautiful earth offers and water, all the elements, um, and also our relationship with our spiritual life, if we believe in that. Um, I, I think that does make a difference. And these are the things that help us remember who we are and what we're here to do and that we are 
in my opinion, divine beings that have capacity that um, brings, I think, more value than any material thing that we can buy. I was wondering also if you could sort of give your opinion on how we can always kind of use others as a reflection of the sorts of things we might need to work on. So if some, for example, someone knows that something's not quite right um, and they're getting certain feelings, but they're not quite sure how to read that. I guess sometimes, I mean, for me, for example, someone might say something that kind of like pisses me off or, you know, I see something on social media that makes me feel like shit about myself. <laughs> like, and oh. for me, those are things, and, you know, it's not often, but those those are things for me that are really good indicators. It's like the the mirrors being constantly held up to me and the, the errors that I want to yeah. work on on myself. So yeah, what's your opinion of that and, and how, you know, people can kind of use others and the environment around them to kind of suss out what needs to be worked on a little bit? Ah, okay. I love that question. Um, so it kind of depends, I think, on where you're at in terms of uh, what I call your healing journey. I think a lot of us, maybe all of us are on a healing journey. And um, because we're constantly exposed to things that um, evoke happiness, but also evoke sadness or fear or other things. And a lot of our, you know, sort of childhood experiences keep coming up for us. And so that is that sort of mirror that comes up. And Oh, are we... Um, what is it about this interaction that's bothering me? Or what is it about that ideology or what they said? And so it gives us an opportunity, as you said, to sort of do that work, but we have to be ready. I think there's phases in our healing journey where we need to withdraw from a lot of triggers and, and really do the inner work and only be around, or mostly if possible, be around sort of our safe people and our safe spaces, um, depending on the level of sort of trauma and, and healing we need to do. But then in everyday interactions and um, and such, I think, for me, I'm on the extreme end of wanting to lean into triggers. I like to um, I like to hear about differing opinions. I like to hear about differing ideologies. I really like to lean into that so that I can understand how people think, why they think what they think, and learn to have compassion. I love the idea of cultivating compassion for people with completely opposing views. Mm. And that's not easy work. It's not enticing work for most people, <laughs> but it's absolutely <laughs> the work that we need to do in order to cultivate compassion from within. Because, um, you know, we might now in today, today's day, disagree with ourselves from 10 years ago. The, the opinions that we hold, the beliefs that we have, the, even the people that we surround ourselves with, it, everything can change and, you know, in an instant. So I think it's a, it's a wonderful practice to be able to have that ability and willingness to look inside first before, you know, pointing the finger, you know, the, the famous expression, one, ping, one finger pointing out, blaming someone else. Well, you got a few other fingers pointing in that you maybe you could take a look at mm. and, um, yeah, yeah, wow. I definitely I love leaning into triggers. But yeah, I love that. That yeah. said, I've <laughs> it ebbs and flows. I've never thought of it like that before. In that, when you're having a conversation with someone and they're saying something that's really triggering you, I've never thought about the fact that at some point in my life, I probably either have had that opinion or will have that opinion, or you know, the fact that actually looking at yourself, we're always changing as humans. And um, yeah, I feel like that will stay with me forever. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that's going back to that growth thing, isn't it? Because we we are continually evolving and growing. And it's really interesting you're saying about um, 
looking at triggers, things that trigger you, because obviously we live in a world now, we've touched on this a little bit, where everything is very binary. You know, we there is no kind of nuance or grey area that we kind of delve in. You know, we see that politically, we see that in society and cultures. Um, we've got culture wars yes. going on at the moment. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that, you know, that must be a very challenging thing to do, to actually participate in looking at what, particularly the things that you know will upset you exactly and it's yeah it's hard isn't it (laughs) Mm. but it's a practice so it's like building a muscle you know the more you build it the better you get at uh, the practice and it I, i call it discernment and discernment arrives from sort of the intuitive process of going into our inner wisdom and that is a part of the human side that people forget is that well we get to think about things in broader terms than just the ideal the ideologies or or what we're hearing there's 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 more to us than just the words we speak and these these narratives we hear and these opinions that we have um and we're all allowed to differ in this yeah and also you could say like if if someone is very noisy or angry it's it's often because there's some you know bigger picture going Mm. on for them personally or it's a it's a past trauma or, or whatever it could be, and I guess being able to apply that compassion to that person oh, and that yeah. is really really That's, vital. Yeah, I do believe that a lot of what we communicate is either a, a an expression of love or a call out for love. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, so if somebody sort of came to you and they had noticed that something was kind of triggering them for example um you're talking from personal experience here (laughs) yeah this is just a therapy (laughs) session for me yeah so if someone that's close to you yeah (laughs) yeah say you're a woman called sophie (laughs) um just as an example so someone comes to you and they they've noticed that something really upsets them and and just say for example so they see something on social media and they've noticed they get jealous at people that have a lot of money for example i'll use one that's probably quite common or you know people yeah. that seem to have a better lifestyle or they enjoy their life more or you know the, the common jealousies that come up with social media is the whole like uh compare and despair sort of thing what would you suggest that they do in order to, to sort of dig deeper on that and understand where that's coming from and then work through that? Were there sort of steps that you would take or um, mm-hmm. modalities that people could use? Well, there is a quote that I heard. Um, I once in my early 20s was in a program called CODA, which is Codependence Anonymous. Oh. And a quote that I heard that forever stayed with me was don't compete, don't compare, and don't judge. Mm. And when it comes to others, I think that has been my mantra since my early 20s, because I think, and what I would do um, on a realistic level is sort of return to gratitude practices uh, in, in that case, because I think that's a clear sign that we've, if we're you know, comparing ourselves and our lives to that of people on social media, we've kind of forgotten ourselves and we've kind of forgotten what we have and everybody has something. I mean, yes, sometimes life looks terrible and feels terrible, but that's the ebb and flow of life. But um, that 
quote to me is is something that I like to put people through is to see, okay, in what ways are you competing with others and how is that serving? And in what ways are you comparing yourselves and how is that serving and and judgment? I mean, I could go on and on about judgment and what is the benefit really? How does it serve? Mm. It doesn't, not usually. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I feel like a lot of people probably could do. I mean, I think gratitude lists, we both do gratitude lists quite a lot don't we i mean like i do one almost every day i think you do them quite a lot yeah 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 i think it's really important to check in with yourself on that respect Mm. like to to see what is yeah i think particularly like some people say it's good to do either first thing in the morning or last thing at night you know because then you can really kind of evaluate yourself you know you woke up you've woken up that's the first thing yeah (laughs) that's the first thing you can i've woken up this morning (laughs) Um, exactly (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah it's so it's so helpful and um do you ever um personally like meditate or anything like that oh yes I do <laughs> a lot <laughs> daily I have to um it's it's an absolute it's like brushing my teeth if I don't it, my day is just a little bit not right oh, really? and uh how, it's a it's a how long do you have to, oh sorry how long do you have to do it for normally or well, for me, I, I do more than the uh, the average person potentially because I also work with energy I, in, in addition to the emotional intelligence side. Um, so in working with energy, it's very important that I'm very grounded and heart-centered and that all the energy channels are flowing clearly. Um, so I, I strive for an hour a day, um, but anybody can meditate very, very quickly. There's so many different techniques. And um, one of the simplest things that I recommend to every single client is to go out and and step barefoot on the earth, whatever, in whatever way you can, Mm -hmm. just to reconnect to those negative ions and to the earth that supports us as we stand and walk and live. And um, just to take deep breaths. Breath work is, is a big one that I think controlled breath work is something that helps us reframe um where we're at when we're emotionally triggered or when we're entering something that's trickier or more difficult or more emotionally tugging at us mm. what what is controlled breath work is that different to normal breath work absolutely it's um so i believe the navy seals do box breathing which yeah. is um you know the four counts in of breathing hold for four four counts out hold for four and so on. And they do that four times before going into serious Navy SEAL work. Mm. Um, But I mean, that's just the simplest example I can think of, but it really is about intentional breathing, noticing your breath and following specific techniques. There's a book, I believe it's by James Nestor called Breath. And uh, it goes through. Oh my goodness, right? Yeah. Yeah, There's so much in there. So much, yeah. yeah, it's interesting meditation because so I, I do quite a lot of meditation, uh, not for an hour. I find it, I, and, and I normally do guided meditation because I find it easier to have a voice in my head sort of taking me through it. Because I do find actually meditation is quite a challenging discipline. Yeah. Um, oh, to actually you? do, uh, but for, particularly for a long period of time. Mm. It is so challenging. It can evoke so many emotions, it can evoke irritation. Mm-hmm. people are often I mean there's a lot of doers in this life uh, and so people are very very busy and people to be still with yourself 
that's very stressful for some people. And even to be still in nature can be stressful for people. So there's a process. There's almost like a threshold that you have to cross over in order to become comfortable with it. It's not a it's not an immediate, oh, I'm feeling so relaxed mm. with this experience. It's actually quite, I found it to be quite irritating when I first started. Mm. Um, one of the modalities I tried was transcendental meditation, where mm. I was given uh, a mantra to say over and over and over as I'm meditating through um, a 20 minute period. And I, I found it so annoying. I <laughs> at first and then I learned to enjoy it but I also like you I I enjoy guided meditations as well and I also apply um meditation frequencies which up the up the game they okay. really do oh tell us about yeah. that how does mm. that work well there's binaural beats so oh, yeah. you listen to them with headphones like this where um the beats come through differently on each side and become a single beat that your brain processes and there's many different types of binaural beats out there that you can meditate to but it it can absolutely change the state of your brain and and um there's studies that are you know i think it's more in the preliminary stages but there's a lot of studies out there verifying this so i do offer some of those um as free tools on my website Mm. But also um, solfeggio frequencies. I listen to them all the time. They're kind of that sort of boring spiritual sounding music that you might hear um, when you walk into a, I don't know, a yoga a yoga studio or yeah. something like that. <laughs> but they are, and they're single tones, but, um, and the, it, they have particular hertz of energy that they emit and they are so incredibly healing. And there's been a lot of studies about the types of uh, the level of hertz, that's like mm -hmm. a unit of energy that is, is emitted that can actually change um, physical matter. It can change our, our brain and, and the way it functions. It can change our mood. It can change um, the state that we're in. Mm -hmm. And um, they're solfeggio frequencies. It's it's fascinating field, and it's it it's never ending. So the music that you play, for example, um, you know, there's a, a tuning. I believe you tune it to 440 is what the music industry tunes it to. Well, there's also nature's frequency, which is 432 hertz. And so some uh, musicians have retuned their music to 432 and it's it is actually in sequence with the birds chirping and the sounds of nature. So um, those sounds are absolutely healing. They can absolutely bring down, you know, any nervous system regulation if you if you listen to it and sit with it wow. um, long enough <laughs> and enough times. That's so interesting. Yeah, that's I never knew yeah. that because I I listen to binaural beats when I want to concentrate on something if I'm like doing yeah. work and I have it on in the background and I I literally only type in binaural beats into you know Spotify or YouTube or whatever because it's the word that always comes up whenever I type in like concentration music <laughs> so I yeah. had no idea what it actually meant <laughs> I didn't realize it was oh. like coming into different ears and stuff but well, yes. Yeah, so, so it creates one single beat and it's, and you're right, it is for concentration, but it's also for sleep. You can use binaural beats for a number of different things. And mm. there's even some binaural beats that can be potentially um, uh, negative for memory. Oh. I've, I've heard from Huberman lab, but, um, but for the most part, there's, there's incredible effects from a lot of the binaural beats that, you know, are out there. So to be able to sort of pick and choose is such a gift mm. um, to just go on Spotify and find, you know, sort of that, I want to be able to focus or I want to be able to ramp up my creativity or um, be more productive. There's lots of things out there that are free 
yeah. that people can oh, access. Yeah. It's fantastic. Definitely. And and I found as well, because I've a, I struggle a lot with meditation. I've tried it for years and just have a busy brain and like the guilt mentality around taking time off <laughs> um but i found yeah. that yoga i've is really useful for that because you feel like you're doing something you don't feel like you're just sitting and doing nothing and you're exercising and and it's good for your body but at the same time you're almost doing like breath work and meditation at the same time i guess indeed you are so how are you with the shavasana oh yeah i love it end. i love it oh, okay I mean, so when yeah, you're done, totally you're chill good. i mean to be fair often <laughs> you've lost me now by the way oh, <laughs> oh that's the end where you're lying down doing nothing Shavasana. yeah o often i have to admit i will be like okay oh, that's enough <laughs> i'll just get up but when i go to like a yoga class i'm almost like asleep by the end of it it's it's amazing but yeah it's it is a struggle to to sit and, and meditate for me personally but yeah, I think for anyone listening that struggles with that, yoga is such a game changer. And honestly, for years, people that told me to do yoga, I would like roll my eyes and be like, all right, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then when I did it, I became one of those people that was like, you have to do yoga. <laughs> it's amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's a, I'm so yeah. happy to hear it. Yoga is a game changer for sure. I, so great. Oh, sorry. No. God, you look like you're about to say something. No, no, no. I'm just so curious to know, just because I know that you do a lot of work on neuroplasticity, what your opinion is, opinion is on uh, sort of like um, microdosing and psychedelic drugs and stuff like that. Have you ever encountered that being used in a professional sense? I don't know what the uh, what the law is in. Are you in, you're in Canada? No, we are, and I I actually personally know um, nurses who mm. are you know helping in. Uh, studies right now where they're trying to really promote that and get government funding behind all of this. So it's being encouraged in this country. Oh, wow. And uh, I know people who do it. I myself don't. Um, but I do, I do understand the theories and I'm still in the learning stages of understanding this. I once listened to a podcast with Jay Shetty and uh, um, Brand. Um, oh, yeah. He is Russell Brand, Russell Brand. Oh, yeah. And they were they were talking about this very topic. And um, there, there were sort of two camps that were being sort of discussed. One is no, mm -hmm. you don't need it. And the other is it, it's a fantastic um, tool. And so um, I think Jay Shetty was more on the side of I personally don't use it. I don't know that we need it. Um, and I think the idea for some is that through it, you can do certain levels of healing, and you can, uh, for some, you can reach certain levels of transcendence or sort of spiritual awakenings. And I've been lucky to do both of that without the use of anything. And for me, my path is um, in need of sobriety to be able to mm. transcend and be my best. Mm. So, um, and to continue on that path, whatever that looks like, some days better than others. But um, it's definitely showing up as having a huge impact for a lot of people in terms of healing through tra traumatic experiences. And um, I think it really depends on the person and it depends on who's guiding you. Mm. The safety of who's guiding you, I think is absolutely key. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because we've got a friend, our friend Manon, she's had experiences like that through just through breath work. She, she, I think mm. she was telling us. Yes. Which I'm guessing is probably your sim similar yes. experience. <laughs> yes, yes. Breathwork can absolutely take you to other places. It's 
unbelievable when you start to tap into what's what's out there. I don't know if you've heard of Wim Hof. Yeah. Oh, we love who, yeah. we love Wim. <laughs> Isn't he fun? He's something. Yeah. I've I've yeah. actually had the privilege of talking to him on another podcast, and um, <laughs> he is. And and actually, we did um we did one of his um a round of his breathing technique on mm. it and um yeah i mean I've, I've i've done a lot of wim hof stuff and it is it is fantastic and you can yeah literally go to, mm. oh, to yeah to, to other places and i find as well i do it a lot when just for like my physical health um mm. in terms of like i know he talks a lot about oh i don't know if he talks about it but people talk about sort of like cell regeneration yeah, and stuff like that, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so i yes. use it when I might feel a bit run down and stuff like that and just to give yourself that little boost as well absolutely it's breath work is so helpful and I yeah I, I can't I can't express it enough how how helpful it's been in my life and everyone that I know that's actually embraced it there's there's healing that can be done through it mm. and uh, yeah it's fantastic yeah there's just so many modalities out there that are so natural and we have the capacity as humans ourselves and you know with others as well and community and and talking and yeah it's it's great that we kind of have that without always needing to resort to sort of like pharmaceuticals and stuff like that absolutely I couldn't agree more I mean there's also you know what what you do with painting and and working with animals Mm. I, I mean there's there's a whole other level of of experience that we get to have with with when we're creative with with our music and and even you know even this kind of a platform but with painting and all the different mediums of Mm. of how we can be creative we're 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 healing as we're creating that's that's I mean one of the most incredible proactive things that we can do to continue to allow ourselves to heal and um and be in nature I agree Mm. we don't need to spend a lot of money but you know, that's a highly uh, disputed idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I feel, I mean, as much as I say I'm terrible at meditating, I do feel like just the act of painting takes me into a different, I feel like I'm on a different brain wavelength to when I'm, you know, chatting to people or going about my day and my brain's kind of buzzing with activity. Mm-hmm. Once I get into the the painting mindset, it, there's definitely a shift and I think it's yeah. in some ways going back to the neuroplasticity it is quite it does feel kind of easier to process things easier to think of things easier to come up with ideas and and often you know my ideas for like a collection that I'm gonna have or you know an exhibition I might do or a podcast episode will come when I'm not thinking if that makes sense <laughs> and absolutely it's, it's crazy that's called flow right that's flow exactly yeah, it's beautiful beautiful it's that's yeah. when the creative juices are going and you don't need to think because we don't need to always be thinking mm. sometimes we just flow yeah and that's why in some ways it's so silly to feel guilty about taking time off and guilty about not constantly be working because actually but me personally it's in those moments where I'm not working and I'm recharging uh-huh. and I'm more in sort of a flow state that I have all the best ideas and I get the most do- work done internally and yeah everything kind of slots into place a lot effort you know a lot more effortlessly so yeah I love to hear that that's part of the reason why I say a lot of times get out of your head get out of your head and into your heart because Mm. it's from the heart that we you know we vibrate out all of this creativity really is Mm. but it's a concept that's hard to grasp you have to actually experience it practice it 
mm. because we're just we're we're kind of trained in society to just be all heady and cerebral and always thinking and always you know like taking in knowledge from other sources but there's so much more there's so much within us that we have to offer mm. absolutely yeah uh, one one last thing i was going to ask you before we go but it's that i love we talked about this near the beginning where people will come to you when they're rock bottom and yeah. i wonder why why are we not so good at do, being proactive with these things we're always reactive and can we, you know, are there certain practices we could be doing to make sure that we are being on a regular basis proactive rather than reactive? Oh. <laughs> well, maybe we're not. I think we tend to not do this because emotional work is exhausting. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, facing ourselves is one of the hardest things that we do. And doing the emotional work is very much not like doing other skills. So emotional skill sets that we build take months to years to sort of manifest and show up as success. Whereas skills of learning to, you know, learning to paint, yes, absolutely. Learning to sing, yes, absolutely. Playing, you know, being a musician and learning to do all of these things does take time as well but it's a little bit faster and the results show up a little bit faster. Um, it's a little bit more tangible, whereas emotional work is just plain time consuming, exhausting, as you probably know, and facing ourselves is one of the hardest things we do because then we have to kind of be accountable hmm. for our part in our misery. And who wants to do that? <laughs> not, hmm. There's no encouragement other than that. Maybe there's a vision of the other side of, you know, in terms of growth. But I think that's one of the biggest things it, that stops us is, is that that exhaustion and time that mm. it takes um, because, you know, it, um, you have children. So um, when children are having their meltdown, for example, we kind of want to just stop it. Like, okay. <laughs> we have to get over there and do this thing or be at this activity or whatever it is. Mm. But you know what, if we and it's not popular and it's not encouraged in society, but we kind of have to feel the feelings and we have to let them do it because then we can learn how to get faster at it and better at it and, and more resilient at it. And, and going through that hard time consuming stuff is kind of what we need to do mm. in order to get on the other side of it. But it's that patience, it's having the patience to be willing to go through it. So um, I feel like there was a second part to your question so besides why are we not willing to do it well I was just gonna say add to that before we move on it's almost like speaking of children it's almost like personal growth reminds me of when you're watching a child grow and if you yeah. you know if you live with that child and they're part of your family you don't even notice the growth really whereas the outsiders might see them and be like oh my god they've grown so much in the last six months whatever you don't really notice it when it's in yourself as well and so it is less tangible like you were saying you don't get the instant gratification the instant rewards you get this sort of slow burning self-development I guess and yeah yes, you do. I know personally from my own experience whenever something comes up like and you'll probably find as well sort of being women we always have these sort of like hormonal cycles that bring stuff up naturally. And I was actually saying this to Giles the other day, we were chatting about something and I was kind of like, yeah, I feel, I feel pretty bad right now, but actually it's, it's great. Cause I know that I have to kind of work through some stuff. 
and yeah. uh, you know then it's gonna feel great but it's that first realization of like oh man like I've got more stuff I need to get work through <laughs> <It sucks. laughs> so yeah I guess it is it's like a trip it's, yeah it's not a nice um it's not a nice thing to do like it is work isn't it it's not always sunshine it is rainbows. work it is work. And as you said, women do have a different cycle than men. I mean, our society is set up on a 24 hour cycle and, and, you know, is a five day or for some seven day work weeks, mm. um, sort of a nine to five where, and, and a man's cycle is a 24 hour period, whereas a woman's cycle is a 28 day period. And so we have four different stages that we go through where our productivity is higher within certain areas of that 28 days. And so mm. to exist within a framework that's primarily sort of oriented towards male males um, cycles is, is tricky and mm. it does evoke guilt and it doesn't need to. Yeah, I never thought about that actually. I was reading an article the other day it wasn't an article that made me sound really intelligent. It was a Reddit feed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this girl was saying um, she was a chef and in a really sort of like high pressured working environment. And she was like, you know, for f four or five days of the month, every single month, I'm in crippling pain. I feel sick and nauseous and bloated and I feel awful. I feel like, you know, you're coming down with the flu almost. And yet I have to work in this really fast, fast paced, high pressured environment where, you know, if you were a man and you felt like that, you just wouldn't go to work. But women don't have that choice, right? I mean, it's completely irrelevant to everything we were talking about. I just needed a rant, but... Not really. <laughs> but, it, but it's it, an interesting note. It's an interesting side note. That, you know, <laughs> we need to reconcile any guilt that we're feeling around these kinds of issues mm. because it's natural. It's part of being a female. Totally. Yeah. Um, and your second question... Oh, how to be more proactive. Oh, sorry, yeah, proactive rather than reactive in in um, this sort of self, uh, self work. Okay. So yes, um, two main things. And it goes back to the beginnings of emotional intelligence, the self-awareness, like what, what, who, who am I and what do I value and what are my beliefs and what's most important to me um, so that you can set intentions. I believe in setting daily intentions and um really around how you're going to show up for the day and potentially what you're going to get done, but that's more of a to-do list, but having a general idea of what, you know, your, your daily goals are, but being intentional and being boundaried, I think are the two main things that um, help us shift from being reactive to being proactive, because when we know ourselves and we're boundaried, we are therefore setting ourselves up for knowing, well, this isn't for me. You know, if, if, if an interaction is happening and, or, uh, you know, a person that we're with, that we're sensing there's something not quite right, we can take a step back or we can sort of assert ourselves, um, and, and having the, um, I think the courage to assert ourselves is, is something that is tricky for a lot of people. So, and it's, it's also an emotional intelligence skill that we assess. So, those are probably the main qualities that we would work on is assertiveness and having sort of go-to language that we can pull out of our back pocket when, when needed, because I mean, and when we know ourselves, we know our triggers. That's another thing that I put people through in, in early on when clients come on is to really face your triggers and own them because they're yours. I mean, what triggers you might not trigger me. Mm -hmm. And that's just a fact uh, as much as there is, you know, sort of commonalities between sort of the things that were like, whoa, <laughs> sometimes it's not the case. 
and the more we work at neutralizing our own triggers, like being aware of them and working on neutralizing them on the side, the less reactive we tend to be mm. and the less surprised or blindsided we tend to be. So um, knowing ourselves, boundarying up and being mm. really, really intentional are so key in mm. being non-reactive, but it does not happen overnight and it keeps happening. I mean, the things that you think you've got settled once you've done a ton of work, well, you get hit and then it's a deeper layer yeah. a year later. It's just the way yeah, it yeah. works. And that's our that's our work to do. That's mm. that's our healing work. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I do say we're all kind of on a healing journey because we think we've got it sorted out. And then one day it's like smack. Nope, you don't. Mm, yeah, it's a journey. It's not a sort of destination. And also to add to what you were talking about earlier as well, um, in terms of your body and, and sort of li- listening to your body a little bit more. Um, because mm-hmm. you mentioned, yep. you know, a lot of people don't even really pay attention to what their physical body is telling them until it's some huge manifestation of like an illness or a massive anxiety or depression. And I think, yeah, just getting a, a little bit used to every day, just checking in with your body. How are you feeling? Or emotionally, how are you feeling? What's what's going on in there? I think that that's personally helped me a lot as well, just knowing my body and knowing what's normal, what's not normal and why that might be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our body tells us all day long if we just listen Mm. and, um, you know, and and learning to quiet the thoughts or to question the thoughts, because sometimes thoughts come up that are simply untrue and we might believe them to be true. But sometimes we need to ask ourselves, is this really true Mm. or is this really helpful? And then to just say, "Okay, not today Mm. or not right now. Yeah, Yeah. so true. So true. Yeah our, yeah, our judgments of ourselves or others or things that have come up, you know, and again, this goes back to our core beliefs that we've picked up mm-hmm. from childhood through experiences and stuff. Most of them probably aren't true in some way. And so, yeah, questioning that is so important. It's not easy to do, though, because it can lead to an existential crisis for some, you know, depending on how rooted you are in your beliefs. But I think it's worth it. I absolutely think it's worth it. And, but hey, that's just me. I'm one that leans into triggers. So I, mm. I love it. But um, and also, I think it's really important that we um, remind ourselves what serves. So when we are self-connected, when we do listen to ourselves, like to react, just to go back to your like, how do we not react so much? I mean. Will this serve? I mean, it's it's so easy to say. I know it's so easy to say, like, oh, just just think about it for a minute and pause. But so I do promote the pause and breathe, the pause and breathe. Like we have to practice that because we're some of us who, if we tend to be very reactive, and I used to have, and that's another element on the um, emotional intelligence assessment that I do is impulse control. Mm. A lot of people have a real low impulse control. And that was one of my lower ones when I first started doing this work. I used to just speak my mind all the time and overshare and people please and do do too much. And uh, I really did. This was this was a big one for me. And I think it's a big one for a lot of people is impulse control and really getting a sense of yourself and doing that whole pause and breathe. Mm. Just step back and practice, practice, practice all the time. We can we can do it. It just requires a lot of practice. Mm. Oh, I feel like I've had a therapy session. Too. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, thank you so <laughs> much, Noah. It was so much, um, so <laughs> much enjoy. to think about and take away from this conversation. So thank you so much for your time. Mm. It's been really, really great. And um, yeah, practice, practice, practice. That's, yeah. the, that's the mantra. <laughs> yeah, everyone's a work in progress, eh? Thank you so yes, much. we are. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to Unquestionable. We'd love to hear from you on social media by searching for Unquestionable Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.